don't you think they'd be more careful? Because ultimately, what will this do to the credibility of our country, of the Justice Department, of the Attorney General, of the FBI, if this comes up? Basically, this was just a, uh, for lack of better words, a witch hunt. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. The FBI raids Mar-a-Lago. Inflation is over and a reconciliation (laughs) bill passes the House and Senate. So, uh, welcome to Flyover Country. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. And alongside with Scott Jennings, Sean Southerd, Kevin Grout, Jared Crawford... Congratulations on inflation ending. You hear yeah, about that? I, I, well, I didn't know it had ended until Joe Biden and his press secretary said that it was zero now. And so I'm going to go to the Kroger and let them know to go ahead and just slash all the prices and cabbage won't be $100 a head anymore. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go over there when we're finished recording this, actually. Uh, great great job, guys. Uh, those of you who braved Fancy Farm in Graves County, Kentucky, to be able to, uh, in the heat there and the mutton and pork, and I, I miss this, the sandwiches there. I was home in, in, in my basement working there, but I appreciate you letting me kind of zoom in there to yeah. be able to be part of that show last time around. Let's get right to the news of the week, though, because shortly thereafter, of course, on Monday, um, really the one of the most consequential news stories of the year, if not the decade, and we'll have to see if it means in American history, and that <laughs> is, uh, well, you think about it as far as the FBI raiding the home of a former president. This does not happen. This does not happen, and the the question is: Well, it doesn't. It, it hasn't happened. Now it's going to happen. It's going to happen every single time. Yeah. <laughs> we're, now, we're now. I mean, I, I was on uh, basically live on TV minutes after this all <laughs> broke, and so I had to sort of come up with something on the fly. I mean, I, I you know, having molded over for a couple of days now, I think the thing that shocks me the most is that this happened, and the only version of this we have is what Trump said in his statement immediately. We have some anonymous sourced stories in the mainstream media and that's it we have no right. official sort of statement from the department of justice and so i i have said this on tv and i've tweeted this out and i have all these people in my twitter feed saying the department of justice doesn't have to answer to you the department <laughs> of justice is an independent it answers to no one and I'm like... Just like American constitutional government is, is supposed to work. I'm like, is, it's answerable <laughs> to no person. Is the liberal instinct that we need in a law enforcement agency that is literally unaccountable to anyone? Because I'm not sure that's what you want. When it's doing what they want. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, this, this is, we've, we've had shows about the authoritarian impulse. I don't know what's more authoritarian than that. Yes, the Department of Justice answers to me. It answers to you, and you, and you, and anyone listening to this. It answers to every American because it's part of the executive branch. The Attorney General works for the President. The Director of the FBI works for the Attorney General. They're confirmed by the Senate. Yes, they work for us. Yes, they have to conduct law enforcement investigations, and yes, they have latitude in how they do that, but they are not independent for the purpose of having to have some transparency. And when you have the track record that the FBI and the DOJ has, with Donald Trump, love him or hate him, they have effed things up. Now, transparency is required to create legitimacy. Kevin Grout? Uh, totally agree, especially when this is, like you said, never happened before. Um, you, you know, you knew the second you stepped up at Mar-a-Lago, you were going to tee off half the country. I mean, why, why would you not try to calm that down, address that maybe this is not, you know, normal operating business for the FBI? And uh, instead, they just went in there, 
for lack of a better phrase, martyred the guy, let him uh, go out there and play the victim. I, 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 the and idea, if there's one thing Trump can do well, it's play the victim. The idea that the idea that the White House had no idea. I mean, I don't know whether they did or not, but you know, half the country's not going to believe that. Right. I, right. I don't believe they had zero idea. I, I might buy the idea that you know they did not have you know permission or a heads up that they made the decision that this was going to happen. But the idea that no one at the DOJ or the FBI just let the White House know that hey, this is going to be happening. And you're going to have a problem on your hands. What, what do you, I mean, what they, do you think about knew. this? They knew. What do you think about this? There's a theory. Andy McCarthy wrote about this at National Review. That that what we know in the, from the press is that ostensibly the warrant was about recovering confidential material that Trump took with him from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. So they went to check his TPS reports. <laughs> so I actually know that reference. So very good. So, but the theory by Andy McCarthy and others is that. It's pretextual. Like, well, we're going to say we're going to go in and look for that, but what we're really looking for is something else, say July, a January 6th related material or something else. I find that plausible, but don't you think if that's the case, half the country is going to find that to be shady and underhanded here and sort of lack of transparency about what's going on? I am right, very right. concerned about the historic precedent of that. Especially as the news media has been reporting for, for months that. Joe Biden is upset with Merrick Garland. He thinks Merrick Garland needs to be doing more to prosecute this case against Trump. And then an unprecedented assault at the president's home. I, I mean, it, it looks like you're just trying to play for your boss and offer a political purpose. By the way, by the way, the White House is strained this week to, you know, Joe Biden. They're independent. Joe Biden has nothing to do with this. He does not meddle in criminal investigation. That's baloney. He publicly publicly said the Department of Justice needed to prosecute people over subpoenas on January 6th committee. Then the DOJ had to come out and disavow it. <laughs> he publicly went to the podium and threatened Border Patrol agents with nothing more than a bunch of tweets from blue check, you know, liberals threatening them their careers over false allegations of whipping immigrants. And today, today, the very day we're recording this podcast, he got on Air Force One with someone who, according to CNN reporting, is on the brink of federal indictment, his son, Hunter Biden. Now, you mean to tell me that two days after they raid Donald Trump and Joe Biden supposedly has no idea what's going on at the Department of Justice, he gets on a plane with his kid who is on the brink of indictment? He is Merrick Garland's boss. And someone who's the subject of federal prosecution, the brink of federal prosecution, is now meeting. I know it's his dad, but I'm sorry. If you want to say the president has separation from this... You don't. You cannot allow it. It, it looks bad. It it's smells terrible. bad. And you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, I mean, this guy. I mean, he has a long history of doing this, and you you pointed that out, Scott. But I mean, even back to the whole Ukraine issue with you know we're going to shut down this investigation or we're not going to be for you sort of situation. I mean, it's it's an absolute disaster for this administration. I am generally a fan of law enforcement, of the FBI, Same. of of the the history of the the department, and um, you know, so I'm concerned. So I'm somewhat ambivalent on this. I at this point, I'm not saying I I, I want a Trump conviction, but I'm saying I'm, I'm I'm hopeful for the sake of 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 the Justice Department's and FBI's credibility that they don't screw this up again. Yeah, but because even, of I mean I'm saying the Russia collusion situation that was a situation where there was a pretext, there was a, a notion of this is the result we want you to find. Go connect these dots. Yeah, and there were there, and basically, and that was the narrative. It was a direction. It was a situation to say you have to prove this, versus 
actually, you know, letting the evidence lead you to what the conclusions might be in any kind of investigation. My concern is when you have Russia collusion, which, frankly, uh, I think helped Trump ultimately because yeah. he can say, listen, I was exonerated. I'm, I'm not guilty of everything. Yes. And then this same thing is happening again. Don't you think they'd be more careful? Because ultimately, what will this do to the credibility of our country, of the Justice Department, of the Attorney General, of the FBI, if this comes up? Basically, this was just a, uh, for lack of better words, a witch hunt. Former White House Press Secretary, Bush White House Press Secretary, Ari Fleischer, tweeted tonight, and I think I agree with this. This either in, this ends one of two ways, in his indictment mm-hmm. or in the resignation of Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI. There's no middle ground here. Right. We can't, you can't go raid Donald Trump's house and then say, well, sorry, you know, nothing, <laughs> we, we, you know, we didn't really mean it. No, this, 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 ha- this cannot end any other way, right? One, one more question for all of you, and this is, again, my my historic my historic precedent type thing question is the is Donald Trump different and should he be treated differently because he is a a former president and b a potential future president in other words does that is or is every citizen of this country subject to the same rules and laws and procedures my, because I, I go ahead my view is everybody is subject to the same laws but the Department of Justice does not operate in a vacuum outside of the rest of the reality that we are living in America. And here's the reality. Half the country thinks this is all BS. They think everything that's happened to Donald Trump is BS. They think the Russia collusion thing cannibalized his presidency unfairly. They think the impeachments were unfair. That's what half the country thinks. And they think this is a continuation of that. Right or wrong, that's what they think. As an agency of the federal government, as we established earlier, you are subject to to some credibility standards of the American people. You're part of the elected piece of the government. You work for the president ultimately. And yes, the American people can express their anger or pleasure in the next election. But at some juncture, to have any kind of legitimacy, you have to take into consideration the larger public relations context of all of this. Okay. So so I think both can be true. Donald Trump is subject to laws, but the Department of Justice is subject to the reality of the America we're living in. And to go about this sort of with no information of... By the way, would, the only narrative we have here is Trump's. He's not a reliable narrator. <laughs> or the mainstream media. And let's be honest, they haven't been terribly reliable when it comes to reporting on investigations into Trump. So... Because of that, we have no idea what's happening, which is breeding conspiracy theories over half the country. That's exactly right. It's it's transparency that you need. Yes, everyone is subject to the same laws, but if you're going to investigate your political opponent in this country, if you're going to use that the does long make it different. That makes it different. That's my question. Yeah. If you're going to use federal law enforcement to go after your political opponent, you better tell the people why, and you better not wait 48 hours to release any sort of statement about it. If, I, I agree. I agree with that, and I, I just think that the fact that you know this is a former president who is actively looking at running for president again, right? And, and not just a past political opponent, right. potentially a, a future potential political, future you know, political opponent. opponent. And and so this is the exact same thing that the Democrats weaponized in 2016. Whenever lock her up, Jim Comey, start, a, a Bush guy, right? Scott? Well, 
I don't. <laughs> not going to claim them anymore. I, uh, <laughs> not sure. But, but, that's what, but that's what the Democrats would have said then, right? Was that a Republican appointee was going after a Democrat political opponent? And and so I just I just think it looks bad, and I think that they people deserve answers, especially the fact that fifty percent of the country is looking at this and like. What the hell is going on? I, I think the fact that he's a past president is less important than the, the possibility of him being a future candidate. He, this is not some gadfly that may run or whatever. No, this, this is the front runner for the Republican nomination. And according to the national polling, is running at least neck and neck with Joe Biden. And so, you know, again, the DOJ knows this. They have the Internet. The Biden White House knows this. They have the Internet. And I, I just... To me, it matters. I mean, all the all the blue checks and all the liberals and all the people who want Donald Trump thrown in jail for the last six years, you know, they're on there cheering this on. I I don't think this is the America they want. I don't. They they always play the short game. I don't think this is the scenario they want. And I, and I'll tell you that the FBI knows it's different too. They notified President Trump's Secret Service detail, according to reports. They walked into Mar-a-Lago in plain clothes to not cause a huff. They knew that this was not their typical serving a warrant kind of investigation. The fact that they only went that far and didn't be transparent with the rest of the American people about what was going on. You knew Trump was going to tweet about it. You knew he was going to post on social yeah, media about it. The fact that that wasn't predicted and the fact that they didn't get ahead of that. That's the, what I've been saying. And, and I, I just, t- t- so you ask, surely they would have been careful. Well, they weren't careful enough to think through the PR of this. Or didn't care. And, and doesn't that concern you? If they don't care about the legi- about their own legitimacy over half the country, that that concerns me. Well, and, and that's my point is that you know the only thing that matters really about our country is that people believe that there's that they have buy-in and that there's a fair system that everyone's going to like get an equal shake. And this sort of system that we're seeing play out with this situation is one that validates. Mm-hmm validates what a lot of Republicans have been seeing, all the way dating back to the IRS scandal with Lois Lerner and all this <laughs> yeah. sort of stuff. And I know I hope that we're going to talk about the IRS agents that have just been hired lately. But, Bet on it. But Although, but, you know, I'm, I'm fearful if we do talk about it. We'll, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be the first five people I'm a that big pick up the IRS. ankles and shaken. <laughs> but, but that's my point, right, is that like the, the most important thing about this country is that everyone feels like there's buy-in, that everyone has, that has an equal opportunity. And, and this is, is a part of a repeated pattern that there, there's a, a government that is out to get Republicans or is out to get Donald J. Trump for whatever reason. I, I think this, this issue of sort of one set of rules for one group of people and one set of rules for another, I think this is one of the sort of underlying drivers of what propelled Trump in the first place. The right. idea that, that, you know, there is a group of people and look, I, I, you know, right or wrong, this is what he believed, this is what he sold, and this is what a lot of his people believe. There's a, there's just a group of people that can bend the thing against the people they hate, whether it's the tax code or the federal judicial system or just the wheels of government in general. Everything can be bent against you. And, you know, had we not lived through all of the failures to get Trump in the past, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the hole they dug themselves, we didn't dig it. They dug it, and now they're in it. And so there has to be some recognition that they're going to have to try to climb out of that. I mean, look, I I have been getting the feeling from the January 6th stuff, they they want to indict him. They want to indict him. But if if they indict him over paperwork <laughs> and not January the 6th, people right. are going to lose it. Right. They're going to lose it. I uh, An easy narrative in, in, in the hallways of, of the 
cable networks like the one where you work, Scott, or and, and, and the Twitter sphere is like, well, how can you? Um, this is basically the comeuppance for the locker up. You mentioned locker up before. And I think many of us were uncomfortable with locker up at the time. But at this point, the broad- not just not just uncomfortable. The left said it was a, one of those threats to democracy. Right. But my point being is I was always uncomfortable with the weaponization or with the the, the, the idea of incarcerating American politicians. I mean, I mean, to me, let's keep the, 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 the criminal justice system out of the way of. Of, of a political campaign, and my, my point being is is that I, I am I am equally uncomfortable with the idea of Donald Trump saying lock Hillary Clinton up, as I am with the concept or the or the potential of him being somehow locked up. The, the, I just don't like it. The criminalization of politics. This That's has the been word I'm this is for. this has been a creeping thing in our system for a long time. During the Bush years, remember all the war criminal. I mean, there were legitimate Democrats right. wanting George W. Bush and Dick Cheney prosecuted at the Hague. <laughs> And now we're here raiding Donald Trump's house. Now you have Republicans and Trump's people uh, saying, well, just you wait until we get back in power and we're going to do it all to you. This, this is not the America we want. This unending spiral of the criminalization of and the politics, politics of revenge. You don't, right, this you know? is not yeah. the America we want. Right. And so at some point, if you're, if you're working on this at the Department of Justice, you have to realize the broader context. Yes, everyone is subject to our laws. But there, there is something else going on in our society right now, and you have to understand it and, and that you're part of it, and that you may be part of either making it worse or making it better. And I hope Garland and Joe Biden understand that. But, you know, every time I think Joe Biden might be prepared to do the right thing, I remember his entire White House is inhabited by some of the worst Russia collusion truthers. There was an article in Politico today about Nira Tandon. You remember her? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> She's the White House staff secretary. She's one of the nastiest partisan liberals mm-hmm. in America. She was one of the biggest conspiracy theorists out there, one of the biggest Russian collusion truthers. Killed her nomination for that cabinet position. Yeah. Right. And, and, and now she controls, you read this article today, she controls all paper flow into the Oval Office. Hmm. So when you think, well, maybe Joe Biden will see the wisdom and restraint here. Then you realize who's actually, what, what's he getting? Well, he's getting it from one of the biggest conspiracy theorists on the American left. So, no, I don't really have any confidence that he or Merrick Garner or anyone else will see the wisdom in doing the right thing and trying to tamp down this spiraling criminalization of politics. Now, if Donald Trump broke the law and he did something egregious, look, I'm you know, just because he was the president, that doesn't protect you from anything. But they better have something better than paperwork. I'm just telling you, this country is going to be on fire if all this is over a box of documents. So, Attorney General Garland, if you're listening, come on flyover country. <laughs> tell us what's going on. We you had an get, Attorney General on before. We have, we, we have experience, we have experience with Attorney General. General. Right. Uh, come on, explain it to the listeners, and uh, we'll, we'll give you a fair hearing. Other big news, of course, in Washington this past week was the... Uh, reconciliation measure, actually it was uh, uh, over the weekend, yep. uh, that was able to uh, pass the parliamentarian, uh, uh, you know, the review yep. to be able to allow the this to happen. The bird bath. That's what they call it. They call it the bird bath? The bird bath. Yeah. And uh, obviously it couldn't happen in, in, in regular order, but it happened through this reconciliation uh, process with the Kamala Harris uh Casting the tie-breaking vote. A lot of people are going to be going to reconciliation after this thing is over. <laughs> <laughs> so it does a lot of things. Of course, it's 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 somewhat. I mean, again, a political notion, maybe half a loaf for for liberals in terms of it wasn't exactly. And it's maybe a fourth or a fifth of what Build Back Better would have been. 
but it's still a lot of money. Yeah, they yeah. pinched a loaf. I agree with you. <laughs> I, <laughs> a $700 billion loaf is not a half anything. Uh, well, I'm saying compared to what they wanted. It's painful. Uh, <laughs> but it all depends on how you how you term it. You know what I think is amazing? They control everything. They have the White House, the Senate, the House. And the best idea they had, the, the biggest thing they could come up with was, let's hire 87,000 IRS agents. That is the best idea Democrats could have. Then, notably... Republicans started to say, "Well, wait a minute. Who are you? What are they going to do? Who are they going to audit? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is probably going to mean people that are, you know, small contractors, waitresses, taxi drivers, Uber drivers. They're probably on the target list, right? And then Kareem Jean Pierre goes to the podium and says, "Oh no, I guarantee no one making under four hundred thousand dollars will be audited." Well, first of all, is the White House determining? <laughs> I mean, honestly, are yeah. they individually determining who gets audited because that's a problem? And number two, 99% of America makes less than $400,000. So you're telling me you hired 87,000 IRS agents to audit a mere handful of people? And by the way, all the people they want to audit all have a phalanx of lawyers and accountants. That's not where the money is. That's not where the money is. The money is in the 99%, and they know it. And so America, flyover country, if you make under $400,000, don't listen to these people. They're coming for you because you don't have lawyers. You don't have accountants. You don't have, you know, 10 law firms on retainer. You just got you and H&R Block, and they know it. And they know it. And you may not have done a thing wrong, but we have a 5,000 and something page tax code. There's no possible way every single person can do all their taxes perfectly, and that's who they're looking for. People who did their best, made an honest mistake, but don't have the means to fight back. That's why they hired 87,000 IRS agents. And we wish that was the only bad part of the of the bill, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it's also the largest investment in phony green New Deal scams. <laughs> it's uh, raising taxes. It's uh, I mean, it, it's just one bad thing after another, and they shoved it all through. Very few people actually know what's in it, but it's all going to cost us. Here's my favorite and, thing, and, on- and you know what it's not going to do. Anything about inflation. My, my favorite the thing smartest, on the... Sorry. The smartest economists out there say it could at best reduce inflation by one-third of one point. I think I saw the number. In like three years. Good job, guys. You know, Pat yourself on the back. Well, you know, as we record this, the House hasn't passed this. Now, the name of the bill is the Inflation Reduction Act. The White House, the, the president, Caron Jean-Pierre, said today, inflation is zero. It's over. So, so I'm not sure why we had to pass this bill anymore. <laughs> That's a great point. The name of the bill is, infl- if it's zero, why well, we got to pass it? On this electric vehicle thing, you know what I find amazing? So they put in a $7,500 yeah. tax credit. And then, miraculously, I'm sure, not, I'm sure totally coincidentally, Ford announced that the price of the yeah, the new the electric F-150, F-150 lighting is going to have to go up somewhere, they said, between 6000 and 8500 You know, I'm not but moderately good at math. I think 7500 falls in that range. It's a miracle. It's a miracle these things happened at the exact same time. What a, sh- what a scam. What an absolute scam. What, what do you think happened to Joe Manchin in this situation? Did, I mean, it's, he seemed up to this point to be comfortable with taking on the slings and arrows and, and sort of the, the wrath of uh, the Democratic Party outside of West Virginia. And yet, this is a, this is a Chuck Schumer, Joe Manchin 
literally behind closed doors type, not including anybody else in this. It was sort of a secret deal that kind of came out at the last minute. What what happened here? I think he was tired of being harassed on his yacht. I mean, look, I think I think most people have a have a price, and most people have a have a, a a tolerance for pain. And he finally reached his. I mean, all they did was change the name of the stupid bill. Yeah. And he he went with a straight face on all five Sunday shows last Sunday, and said with a straight face. This is going to reduce inflation. This is going to reduce inflation over and over and, and when over. when confronted with actual nonpartisan data from the Congressional Budget Office and other organizations to say otherwise, that you know it really won't change inflation that much, it'll actually raise taxes on people. He's like, well, I just re- respectfully disagree with it. It's that. a yeah. red, white, and blue bill, and that's all that I it mean, is. you've got I the mean, Congressional Budget Office, the Penn Wharton business. I mean, all, all the sort of the nonpartisan you know, propeller heads that we listen to to analyze this very complicated fiscal policy that we're trying to pass, everybody sort of plays by these rules. If they say something, we basically accept it. And this dude stares into a camera with a straight face and just straight up lies to the American people. So what happened to this guy? He got tired of being harassed on his yacht, and he has no problem staring into a camera and lying. I mean, that's, I don't know if there's any more complicated explanation than that. Of course, the uh, ultimate irony, you already suggested it before, is that... Uh, if this is supposed to facilitate or encourage electric vehicle adoption, is that most analyses of these having to do with the fact that you, uh, it only kind of applies to those EVs that are made with uh, more domestic parts, domestic batteries. Yeah. We're not sourced right now. So it'll, it'll, ultimately what this will do, at least initially, I should say, is going to suppress electric vehicles. There's not enough cars to buy. Here, here's So I keep getting calls from reporters who want to talk about it. By the way, if you turn on television, this they keep destroying, over and over, they keep describing this as a win. A huge win. A huge win. A huge win. And I'm like, is this a win? I mean, it doesn't reduce inflation. It raised taxes. They hired 87,000 IRS agents to harass middle America. Uh, they they might have a few upper middle class you know white liberals who live near universities now can buy an electric vehicle with the tax credit whatever. What is the win? I'm like I I think they are mistaking motion for progress, motion for progress. But I think the media was so desperate, so desperate to change the narrative for a failing presidency that they're forced to call something a win without even really critically analyzing whether it is or not. I mean, they have nothing else to do. They, the Democrats have to pretend like they have a win. There's an election coming up, and they have so little to show for their unified Democratic government. This is exactly what I wanted to ask you guys about, is that it has the narrative shifted enough uh, in the Senate and the House races because of this? I mean, up to this point... Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I finish your question. Cause <laughs> up, up to this point, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty much been considered a done deal. The House is going to go to the Republicans this fall. The Senate is 50-50, but at the same time, Republicans were looking somewhat more encouraged, especially because of inflation being just as horrific as it is and Joe Biden's poll numbers being in the crapper. So the question is, is this beginning the turnaround here for the midterms? If it was going to, then the FBI raided Donald Trump's house and it's all you know th- this is a this is a great point you know thinking through all the implications of this so if it's true that Democrats are now energized over abortion or this bill or whatever I, it must be equally true I mean just based on the last 48 hours of what I've been hearing Republicans must be going insane to get to a ballot box I'll tell you this I'll just tell you this anecdotal but I'm just gonna tell you I was in my neighborhood walking around 
you know, I walk by the same houses every day. Walk by a house today, never seen a political sign on a house. <clears throat> Got up, had my coffee, was out reviewing the sunrise this morning. There were two flags hanging off the eaves of the porch. One was a yellow Gadsden, don't tread on me, and the other one was a let's go Brandon. I'm just saying, I know it's anecdotal, but I, I, I think I think there this must this is like defibrillator paddles. Like I think there was some evidence that Trump was flagging. I think Republicans were thinking, man, eh, maybe we can move on from this guy. Uh-uh. They have come along and shocked this guy back to life, and they reminded Republicans why they were defensive of him in the first place. Even though he has all these flaws and all these failings and he has terrible judgment and says stupid things, there was an instinct to defend him because of the way he was being persecuted and by who. And that 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 we all got reminded of that. Look, I've been, you know, I've been very unapologetic about my views that the Republican Party needs to move on from this guy. But even I was, like, feeling defensive of him this week. Uh, and so I, I, I think I, I think this is being felt across the Republican spectrum. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I'll also just say that I have never seen Republicans united on an issue like this since probably 2016 against Hillary Clinton. Like, I mean, there's just a unity sort of thing that's going on right now in reaction to the last 24 to 48 hours that people are just absolutely just lockstep. I mean, you look at, I mean, everyone from Mitch McConnell to Kevin McCarthy to to all these moderate, I mean, hell, we got Andrew Cuomo out here saying that we need to have uh, some, some demanding answers yeah. for this. And, you know, I mean, he's no, like, paragon of conservatism that, you know, people should be pointing to. But, like, there there are a lot of people out here that are, like, it's completely unified. I mean, I've talked to people back home in, in far west Kentucky. I've talked to people here in Louisville. Everyone is like, what the hell is going on? We deserve answers. Yeah. And this is this is exactly what Trump has been talking about the I, whole entire time. I, I think there's a real, like, I don't know how you would ever study this, but I think there's a real sort of psychological thing with Republicans about Trump, and it is, he's ours, and if we are going to get rid of him, we are going to get rid of him. If, if we decide to move on from him, it'll be, it'll be us deciding. But we'll be damned if Joe Biden and Merrick Garland and the corrupt regime that has been trying to get this guy for five, we'll be damned if they're going to do it. Let, let, us, mm-hmm. let us decide. And and this whole episode, I think, has just triggered that emotion in Republicans. So I, I think now you're going to see all these people who have been critical of Donald Trump, to Sean's point, saying, well, we, you know, we had to rally around this guy because we can't let the, you know, who they would say, we can't let the bad guys, it, the enemy win. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the symbolism, and it's the message that, you know, if, if they can do this, I mean, Trump used this very effectively during his 2016 and then his, his 2020 campaign. They're coming after me. Because they are coming after you, right? And and it that message is very effective, and and I think that there are a lot of Republicans that it resonates with. You, you, you certainly a lot of Republicans, mainstream Republicans, wish that someone else could have channeled that outrage against the liberal overreach on the other side. But he is the guy. He owns it. It's his brand. He he completely commanded it. It's the reason why he won in the first place. And to your point, there are plenty of people who are uncomfortable with him, who would not do business with him, who are uncomfortable with the notion of yet another Trump presidency. But to your, all of your points is that at the same time, there is this, there's this burning desire to say, go get him. I know I'm, I'm a broken record on this, but I always say the best way to explain the modern Republican Party is, do you have all the right enemies? 
That is the best predictor of success. And Donald Trump invented this. He has all the right enemies. And this episode reminded us of who his enemies are. It reminded Republicans. And look look what happened. All his potential opponents in the 2024 primary immediately yeah. put out statements DeSantis supporting had to him. Do this, yeah. I mean, he's hurt by hurt the hurt the most, DeSantis. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know, but at I, least but, initially. I mean, I, I'll tell you. I mean, I think it reminded everybody who's the daddy and who's the the kids of this like <laughs> way of doing business, Kevin. And while we've got this, you know, visceral reaction, Democrats have eighty thousand, eighty seven thousand new IRS agents. I mean, if well, you poll can, Americans, can, can you said, believe? If you, I mean, poll, if you poll people and said we're going to hire eighty seven thousand federal workers, what should just we have them to, do? Just to harass? You. What should yeah. no no? What should we have them do? Would IRS get a single vote? <laughs> Marines, well, certainly Border would. Patrol, certainly National Park no, Service. The, the weights the, and measures. Wait, roads, <laughs> roads and bridges. Radar station in Alaska. This is the natural conclusion, though. This is the reordering of the economy that they're hoping for. You can't redistribute wealth unless you have people to redistribute it. That is, right. These are the yeah. agents yeah. of that, the redistribution. That, 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 that is my point. Is that This is all very logical and is natural. What, is that what the R stands for in IRS is redistribution? Yeah, sure yeah. internal redistribution <laughs> but I'm service. Saying it's, but you that, got it, brother. I mean, face it, this is, it's punitive. <laughs> I'm going to use that, I think. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull that one. I think I'm on State of the Union side. I might, I might rip that one out and see what happens. It's only $1,000. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to see everyone's face melt I like the Raiders of a Lost Ark. Redistribute if, some of your wealth to me. If someone has more money than someone else in this country, it's because... Because they cheated. They cheated. They cheated. Or or, or they're, they're privileged. They're, they're, right. The, they didn't earn it. Right. The it's wrong not theirs. It's not yours. Has more money. We're okay with rich people. That's why BLM leaders have five houses. It's if the wrong people have too much money. I just say stop the steal from these poor people that these IRS agents are going to go after. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the wrong people, uh, oh New York boy. City Mayor Eric Adams. This guy. <laughs> Is, uh, he's upset, and it's, and and I understand why he's upset because he's having of, to deal with deal with problems that the rest of the country is having to deal with. I mean, I, I, I feel bad for just him. Just moment, just for, <laughs> no matter where you live in the country and where you're listening right now, if suddenly buses start showing up on your doorstep and start depositing illegal immigrants uh, from various from points unknown, undocumented citizens, Joe. Okay, well, I apologize for not being politically correct, Sean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the police. What? Anyway, whatever it is, <laughs> if this happens to your community, what would your reaction be? I, I I feel sorry for Eric Adams because I don't think anyone is suffering more under Joe Biden's open border policies than Eric Adams. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Have you seen how mad he is on television? <laughs> I mean, I mean, to to go on TV and complain that illegal immigrants are stealing services. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face because because well, heretofore Donald Trump was making this argument. The governor of Texas was making this argument. The mayors of all the border towns and they were all deemed to be racist. Right. And now you have one of the most liberal mayors in America saying no no mas, you know basically. <laughs> and, and it's like I mean I'm sorry. And, and 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 the best part about this whole thing, my favorite Twitter feed right now is Defiant L's like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had one of him, you know, making a huge deal during his campaign about how he was going to keep New York City right. as a sanctuary city. Well, you put out the banner, brother. I mean, I don't know what you... I mean, you're a sanctuary city, so play the hand you wanted to be dealt. I, I, I find this whole thing to be amazing. And then, to cap it all off, Kevin, he said, well, I'm going to get a bunch of New Yorkers, and we're going to take a bus to... <laughs> to Texas and campaign against Craig Abbott. And I thought, man, there's like three precincts in Austin where this might work. El- otherwhere, el- elsewhere, it's going to be like a Picante 
uh, uh, salsa commercial. It's like, where are you from? Jill, New Jill, York City. I'm sorry, Jill Get a Biden. rope. Jill Biden, I need you to keep your taco comments to yourself. It's Kevin. Remember that commercial? Governor, Governor Abbott is doing a great job of selling New York. He says, we're sending them up there. Who? And they, there are all these services and benefits. They'll take care of you. It's fine. But, I mean, it's, it's funny. But the, the truth is, these border towns have been just dealing with this historic wave after wave after wave of new people coming across the border and they just can't anymore so i mean it makes sense let's make these liberal governors and mayors put their money where their mouth is i I was kind of skeptical of this whole idea of you know bussing people from the southern border to washington dc and new york city but i I think you're warming up. I'm warming up. <laughs> and you know, you know what? most of them will get to vote in uh, New I mean, York too. Yeah, and they were it, trying to let it. That's it worked. Right. I mean, it worked. Like now we have like one of the most liberal mayors in the entire it's, country being like, you know what? No more illegal immigration. Build the wall. We might need to like set a timer and see how like how how much longer it's going to take for him to switch. Build the wall, and New York will pay for it. <laughs> yeah. I am I am ambivalent again on this because. I How can you host a podcast and be ambivalent on everything? What, what, what specific? Why can't you get worked up about something? Ambivalent means that I'm worked up on both sides. <laughs> no. It does. Look it up. I, I, but I what specifically, so. we're going to okay. move past that. What specifically are you ambivalent about? I don't like the idea of human beings being used as political pawns, as being completely, they're, they're, they're just, they're being moved around like chess pieces in this, in this game, and they're real people. And so it concerns me about that. And now, it's, the problem is, of course, the policy in the first place. And the fact that we have an open border policy, which encourages people to risk their lives and their children's lives and to bring them over the border in the first place, rather than having a more clear policy in this country where people would not do that. But the problem is, is they're here. The problem is, and and then for, I mean, so I understand it. They're human beings. I'm concerned about that. But to your point, though, Sean, you know, it's effective as far as this policy because it's, it's, uh, it, it makes the people in the Northeast or other places that otherwise aren't necessarily directly well, yeah, affected I mean, like border I mean, states to open their eyes and say, oh, wait, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't be so dismissive of the concerns yeah, of, not just of that. the border yeah. places. Looking, so I, looking so I, down I, I'm their noses well, from New York City I agree, I agree. On, yeah. on Texas and people who are calling for a strong border right. that have to put yeah. up with the uh, – sorry, Sean – have to put up with the effects of illegal immigration every single day. Now it's just so showing them what those effects are. No, I, I, I agree with your point, Joe, like Joe. I don't believe that people should be used as political pawns. Or I think that that's an, a really good point, and that people should should reflect upon. But I also think that you know the idea that these people have to actually face the realities of their policy issues. They've made a decision, so they need to they need to understand the actual realities of the policy decisions that they're making. And and I've said this a lot on this podcast. Modern liberalism is all about insulating people from the outcomes mm-hmm. of their decisions. And it's really nice to sit in New York and you know, opine about what you think about X, Y, or Z, but it's another thing for everyone else to have to deal with them. Question. Serious question. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that I know the answer. Where are these people better off? They come here. Are they better off in one of Joe Biden's detention facilities on the border? Are they, are they better off in the cages down there? Or are they better off being dropped off in New York City, which I presume is trying to help them when they get I don't know I, actually, I, th- I think it's an excellent point because beyond the fact that this is a political stunt in many respects it actually has a practical logical uh, positive influence meaning that you have to spread it the, these folks out not one place one state can't absorb them all yeah so it only makes sense as a nation 
if you're going to open those borders, that every state has to bear some of the brunt of those policies if, in fact, you support those policies. The question is, unless your state wants to adopt a policy to say, well, wait a second, we're going to support Texas on this. Well, isn't that how we deal with refugees in this country? Is right. That, you know, you, they go we, everywhere. They go right. everywhere. It's not like, you know, right. one state does not, you know, have to deal with all of them because of the actual, like, economic question of, like, how are we going to deal with the services that, that these people are going to require? Right. It's, it's like a real question. It's like, you know, each city or, or their or their states that decide, you know, we're going to take in X number of, of refugees. And, and, you know, that's a legitimate policy question. And I want to zoom out a little bit and just talk about we, – we, we come back to almost every week on this podcast a governor doing something. Uh, and I think that we're living in a moment where the governors are really empowered. They're making these big newsworthy decisions. And it's probably because there's you know a sleepy guy in the White House who's not doing anything. We don't have a lot of national leadership. So you know, you're seeing it with Ron DeSantis in Florida. You're seeing it with Greg Abbott in Texas. You saw it a little bit with Gavin Newsom in California. Governors are really stepping into this role – you know, having to deal with some of these national policy decisions, um, but making real policies uh, themselves. And I, I, I don't know if there's a parallel in our history, but I think it's it's really interesting. We moving on? Have we have we rung the bell? And I think on? we've rung the bell. And <laughs> the, the the question is is as far as the other developments of the of the week of of before yeah. we wrap it up here. I didn't want to ask you. Uh, are we are we talking about any Senate races tonight? On oh, this podcast. We talked about that a little bit, just in terms of where we. But I mean, I'll just let's wrap get, up. Let's get let's get back to it next week. Okay, but my question overall is always a scorecard. Yeah. From for, you know, your, I mean, meaning that where are we right now? On your, if the election were held today. No, I do not believe Raphael Warnock would be elected president. <laughs> I, I believe. Ah! I believe. That, I believe that is R- R- Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> no. Balance of power in the House and Senate today. I still think Republicans win the House. I, I mean, I think it is a – I mean, McConnell has said as much on TV, and I agree. I, I think it's Senate's on a knife's edge. Uh, there's no question that Democrats are facing a, a bad environment. There's a question that Republicans have some candidate issues. So it's it's like you have two very powerful forces meeting each other. I I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's still, uh, still developing. I will say this. I did talk to some operatives in Arizona today who I, I'm friendly with. Very high on the possibility of Blake Masters beating Kelly. Um, I think the national narrative on him was coming out of his primary that he he's not good or he can't win. That's not the feeling on the ground. Yeah. Uh, and so um, and so what you've heard may not be true at least as it relates to Arizona. As far as seeing Red Herd this week, I just, I mean, you've all seen the uh, the Little League replay uh, of the last couple of days. Yeah, the 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 kid who's hit in the head by you know being by the pitch, and the yep. the kid on the on the yep. on the mound is 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 crying, is upset about this, and the one person who goes to console him is the person who hit him in the head. Yeah, I I, thought, I mean if you haven't I've mean, seen it, I, I was just so amazed by that. That was really good. Anything else going on? Uh, yeah, I cracked open a book called uh, Last Hope Island, another um, Lynn Olson book about World War II and the deposed monarchs of Europe heading to England and setting up shop there throughout the the course of the war. Just just uh, at the beginning parts of it, but it's uh, so far a really good read. I have two, if I can. You may. One is a red, which is uh, The Fall of the Rock, which is a, uh, a history of the fall of the Democrat Party in western Kentucky, where I'm from. And Who was, wrote that? Uh, great question. I can't think of it off. It's an academic. Time. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I kind of want to read that. He's from yeah. Oklahoma. That's my, that's my uh, home, he, you know. He's a, he's a professor at an Oklahoma university, but originally from West Kentucky, uh, and it chronicles the fall of the Western uh, Democrat Party alliance uh, that was really popular here in Kentucky for a long period of time. 
And then a scene is that uh, I'm watching this new Chris Pratt show on Ooh. Amazon Prime called The Terminal List. People love this. Which is, it's been hailed as the new Yellowstone, which the Yellowstone yeah. is a great show, which I think everyone in flyover country has really gravitated to. But it features this uh, this uh, Navy SEAL, part of a SEAL team that went in to take out a terrorist, and he's dealing with PTSD and a couple other things about what is real and what is not real. And I, I just, I'm only a couple episodes in, but I would highly recommend it. Jared, you got anything? Uh, oh, Jared's here. Oh! <laughs> uh, very quickly, a uh, piece in Vogue, actually, which is probably the last time you'll hear that said on Flyover Country. Yeah. Hello. Um, the word goat in sports gets thrown around a lot, but Serena Williams sat down with Vogue oh, yeah. to talk about her retirement. I think you could make a case she's the greatest athlete of all time, period, regardless of the sport. Um, amazing story for her, but the interview is very interesting. She talks sort of about like motherhood and uh, the, the sort of battles of, you know, we, we glorify athletes so much, but these people are, are real people. And she knows she, she won a Grand Slam two months pregnant. She wants to have another child, and she talks a lot about that. And very, very interesting sort of uh, behind the scenes in terms of athlete life, but not just any athlete, somebody who I think is probably one of the greatest athletes of all time. So, uh, it's again, it's a Vogue piece, so it's a little kind of, I don't know. Vogue-y? vogue yes. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting. And Vogue-tastic. Serena, Serena Williams, uh, the movie that, that Will Smith did, if you don't know her story, like if you don't know her, I mean, amazing story, amazing athlete, and that's a really good piece. Definitely recommend that. I've got a couple. Uh, one is a, a political thing. Uh, Barry Weiss, who has a podcast um, and a – Substack, who a uh, former New York Times writer who I follow pretty closely. She's got a great conversation interview with South Carolina's Tim Scott, friend of the pod. Uh, and it, I really encourage you to read her stuff and listen to the conversation. Uh, Tim Scott talks about optimism, and I just I, I think it's it's really good. And then on the entertainment and pop culture side, um. There was a trailer for the new Andor. Di- in Disney Plus show Andor, the Star Wars, and I, it looks amazing. And so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, I, it feels feels pretty good to me based on what I've seen. I'll even say that uh, I spoke with Whitney Westerfield today. Oh, boy. And even he was positive. Really? About Andor. Interesting. So I might have to watch this and then change my mind about it because <laughs> I, that's bad company to be in. <laughs> Man, Whitney, if you're out there, buddy. Sorry. Oh, we gotta we gotta call Whitney about Fancy Farm next year. I had an idea that we're gonna fly have Whitney fly his drone over the under under the pavilion, but over the crowd to get some. Because uh, Jared's getting ready to post a, a little video from our recording session down at Fancy Farm, and I, I think this is missing drone shots, and we gotta have to get Whitney on. The, on he the is case. a uh, he's a he's a great photographer. Uses yeah, that drone a lot. Has a great photos of the, of the Capitol. I will say, in my day job with the Kentucky Electric Cooperatives, are Legislative guide shows a, a great little panorama of the Capitol by Whitney Westerfield. One last thing before we go. Uh, I don't think we've really gotten to address this much on the pod, but um, Eastern Kentucky flooding, mm. recovery mm-hmm. will be long time in the making. So if you haven't had a chance to find one of the charitable organizations that is uh, helping the people of Eastern Kentucky, please do so. Uh, you know, I know we ripped Joe Biden a lot on this podcast. I'm glad he went to Eastern Kentucky. I'm glad Senator McConnell and Senator Paul were down there. Governor Bashir, you know, I think Hal one of Rogers, the, uh, Congressman Rogers. I think I think one of the things about West Kentucky after the tornadoes was we saw a lot of cooperation between state and federal. That's obviously happening in Eastern Kentucky as well. Something we ought to applaud. 
celebrate and uh, and uh, note when it happens. And so uh, these people need our help, and uh, they're our fellow Kentuckians and fellow Flyover Country residents. So if you're so inclined, help them out. On that note, thanks for listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.